So our passage is from 1 Samuel chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 27 through 36 this morning. It says, And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear the ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then did you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you, both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and shall say, please put me in one of the priests place that I may eat a morsel of bread. Amen. Tell you what, talk about a tough passage to study. Talk about a tough passage to deal with throughout this week. It really hits home. Uh, it really hits home for me and, uh, you know, my family life and also my life as one of the pastors here at the church. Just dealing with seeing God's judgment on Eli and his household. Um, it, it reminded me, as I was reading through that, it reminded me, it took me back to uh, Matthew chapter 5, as Jesus is talking about the Beatitudes, and he's describing uh, who it is that inherits the kingdom of God. And that's kind of where I want to start this morning, just to put your minds there as a starting point, and then go forward from there. But it was Jesus who taught in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 6, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I thought of Jesus' words whenever I read this rebuke of Eli and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. I thought of Matthew chapter 5, and, and because... To me, that's where they went wrong. To me, that's where Matthew chapter 5 should have been their starting point. Matthew chapter 5 points us to the reverence of God that we should have. And how we should do all things for the glory of God. Not for our own glory, not to gain anything for ourselves, but strictly and only for the glory of God. Why? Because we were made by him and for him. We were made to worship him in everything that we do, especially in how we guard our household, how we lead our household. We were made to worship him in everything that we do within the household of God here within the body of Christ. Like those two things kept on coming up in my mind, my own household and then also the body of Christ. In those two places, we are called to honor God as king. We've talked about how this whole theme throughout 1st and 2nd Samuel is seeing God as the eternal king of glory. 
as we go through this letter, we're going to see how these very important men of Israel, how they were called upon to lead the nation, and one after another, they failed. Two of them were anointed king, and each one of them failed. But through their failures, we see the real king of glory working out his will to bring himself glory, to save himself a people, and to put hope in us for tomorrow. It's a beautiful and wonderful thing that we start to see here in 1 Samuel, and it's so funny that I describe it as a beautiful thing because it, it is not a beautiful passage. It's a difficult passage. It's one of God's final judgment on someone and in their lives. But when I think about Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5, I picture someone who is seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. I think of someone who is striving to live rightly by pleasing God through not only their actions, but also their motives. They're trying to please God through obedience and reverence, someone who is walking in the footsteps of Jesus himself, and that's what we are called to do as Christians. Today's story is about a father and his sons who basically squandered every sort of blessing that God had given them, and we'll go over those blessings here in a minute. But you see, what happened with them is that they lived life according to what seemed right in their own eyes. They did as they pleased. They didn't consider the commands of the Lord. They sinned greatly against the Lord, and what we've just read is their due punishment. That's what they deserved, and even more. As I read God's judgment on them, I, I still see God's grace present. I still see his mercy present. See, but we're going look to at, look at this tragic story. We're going to look at their tragic lives. And we ourselves are going to see the importance of honoring the Lord with our own lives and in everything that we do. And what I want to do is I, I, I want to break this sermon up into basically talking about the judgment that comes on the house of Eli, and then also talking about the, the household of uh, Elkanah and also the household of Eli. Uh, Pastor Laramie, last week when he preached, he did a little bit of compare and contrast, and I, I want to do the, the same thing. And then after that, uh, I want to talk about what it means to honor the Lord and what the Lord requires of us. And then we'll close it off with some things that are applicable to uh, us after you know, looking at this passage and seeing what we learned. But first thing is this judgment that comes to the house of Eli. When you look at our passage, it's broken down into three separate categories. Verses 27 through 28 are the blessings. Uh, as as the, the word of the Lord comes to Eli, the Lord announces his blessings to Eli and, and, and how he has given him every opportunity to serve him and to live a blessed and wonderful life. So we see those blessings that Eli receives in verses 27 through 28. And then we see the sin, verse 29. I can't imagine being Eli and this, this gentleman, whoever it was, who came to bring the word of the Lord to Eli, starts to begin to speak to Eli and starts with blessings and then all of a sudden goes into his sin. A guy he's probably never met before and all of a sudden this guy knows in detail what Eli has done. I can't imagine that feeling of hearing that God knows exactly what you've done. Right. So verse 29, the sin, Eli's sin is pronounced. And then it gets even worse after that. Verses 30 through 36 is the judgment of the Lord, is the judgment of the, the eternal king of glory to Eli and his household. Now, this all took place in Shiloh and Shiloh was a place of worship for the Israelites. Shiloh was the place where the Ark of the Covenant was. And this was established by Joshua when he crossed the Jordan River. He was, he was told to, to, to find a place for the Ark of the Covenant. And this is where uh, the Lord led Joshua to place it. And this is where all the Israelites came and, 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 and traveled there three times a year uh, to worship the Lord and offer sacrifices there in Shiloh. And Eli was the high priest of Shiloh, so he was considered the, um, he was considered the spiritual leader of the Israelites. Now, when you look at that, you think, and, and you look at that, who he was, he was the spiritual leader of the Israelites. Then you go back and read our passage and you see his sin and you see God's judgment upon his life. 
I don't know about you, but you, I think he's the last person that would be receiving God's judgment like that. Being him, you know, him being the, the high priest and him being the spiritual leader of the nation, I would think he would have everything, you know, gathered together pretty tight. His house, his sons, the people that he leads. I would think everything would be in order, but that's not what we see here. And I think that's what gets us in trouble a lot with our spiritual leaders. When someone says they're a pastor or someone says they're this or they're that, we automatically give them reverence. We automatically give them honor because of the position without waiting to see the fruit behind it. Without evaluating what sort of man is this. Now, I'm not just speaking about other churches, but I'm also speaking about me. I hope you're doing that with myself. I hope you're not just honoring myself and Pastor Laramie, Pastor David, just because of the positions that we hold, but rather that you see God working through us. Because if I sat up here or stood up here and preached to you every single Sunday on how you ought to act and I'm not acting that way, or I'm not doing what God has called me to do, it would be it would be shameful. Not only of me, but of you also for letting me do that. You see, no one had told Eli anything. Why? Well, he's the man. He's the one in charge. He's the spiritual leader. We don't question that. We don't see, we, you know, we don't question him. We don't challenge that authority. But now when we look at our passage, we see where they got Eli and, and his family. See, Eli's sin was that he had honored his sons above the Lord by not stopping their disobedience. And we see that in verse 29. That's one of the um, announcements that came to Eli about his sin, that he has chosen to uh, lift his sons above the importance of the Lord. And because he has chosen to honor his sons above the Lord, God was bringing judgment upon his house because his sons were extremely disobedient to the Lord. They were extremely disobedient to the Lord and all of these promises that were given to the house of Eli were revoked by God and that's what we're seeing in our passage. See, the judgment of God was that he would remove his grace and his mercy from them. Man, that is a scary thing. When you think about God's grace and mercy being removed from you, it's all that is good, all that is holy, all that is what you consider a blessing. Everything that is just right in the world is removed from you and you are left to your own devices. That's hell. That's what that is. When everything is said and done and when God comes and judges the world, that's exactly what's going to happen to those who do not believe in the Lord. We focus a lot on what's going to happen to those who are believers, those who have given their life over, those whom God has worked in, those whom God has chosen. We focus on those people and we say, yes, there is a heaven, but we forget about the hell that will take place where God's mercy and grace is removed from them. It's not that they will not know God or they will not be around God. They just will not have his mercy and his grace to help them in life. Because even now, sinners have God's mercy and grace. It's not salvific, but yet they are taken care of. They are fed. They are clothed. They are provided work. So they are taken care of in a sense But one day, all that will be removed. And that's going to be the scariest, most miserable day of their lives. That is the definition of hell for God's mercy and grace to be removed from you. And we are seeing that take place here for Eli and his sons. In verse 31, it says, Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house. Now, what does the passage mean by strength? Well, it doesn't say that Eli was like Samson. He had this great physical strength. 
doesn't say that at all. It's not talking about just physical strength. It's talking about every blessing that Eli has, his strength as a person, as a priest of God, the strength of the promises that have been given to him. In other words, it's God's favor on his life. And the judgment that comes upon his life is that, you know what, that favor that you've had and you've, that you've taken advantage of, you're going to be cut off of that strength. So the promises that I have given you, they are going to be revoked. The promises that I have given to your father's house are all going to be revoked. So the grace and mercy that I have shown you all of your life, that is going to be taken away. That is the strength of Eli. And listen very carefully to me. That is our strength as well. You see, we think, well, we have our own things. We work for them. We, we are self-sufficient We have what we have because we worked hard for it. That may be true. But despite our hard work, we wouldn't have these things. We wouldn't be the person we are. We would not be saved. We would not be God's people. We would not be able to do the things that we do if it wasn't for God's mercy and grace. That is our strength. He is our everything. But that is the judgment that comes to the house of Eli. God's removing his mercy and grace because of this gross disobedience that he has seen from Eli and his sons. But then on the other side, you see a different story taking place. And this is where I want to compare and contrast Elkanah and also Eli and their households. Because on the other side, you see Elkanah who the Lord honors and who blesses. And we see two different stories, two different backgrounds, two different beginning places, and then also two drastically different outcomes between these two families. Let me just give you a rundown so far of what we've talked about with Elkanah and his family. Number one, when we look at Elkanah's household, we go back to you know, chapters one, uh, one and, and a little bit of two. We see that they lived in turmoil. There was no peace within their lives. There was no peace in their families. And sometimes we look at that and we say, oh, that's God's judgment. They've been bad people and that's why they are suffering. That's not necessarily the case. In fact, I would say that they are being blessed in their turmoil. See, number one, Hannah could not conceive. That was a big issue. She could not have any children. We've already studied that. We've read about that. That was part of the turmoil in Elkanah's house. Secondly, Elkanah had to marry, or he decided to marry, Penina, who had hatred for Hannah. Just completely hated her, was jealous of her because of Elkanah's love for her. So again, we see the turmoil in their house. Then Penina mistreated Hannah. And then we also see that Hannah was tormented by the fact that she was barren. Now, can you imagine? Okay, so just think about this. Husband and wife, when there's turmoil in your house, it's, it's, it's very tough, right? It's very tough. It's tough to get through just any single day because that's how closely uh, together you are placed by God. We are one flesh. And so when there is turmoil, the family does not function correctly. Nothing goes well. And it doesn't matter if it's on the man's side or the woman's side. It's just nothing goes well. Now, guys in here, can you imagine not having one wife mad at you, but two wives mad at you? That's the turmoil that was taking place in Elkanah's household. And you would look at that and it would seem like, yeah, these are some really sinful people because of what's been happening. But it's through that turmoil that God works his grace and mercy to show them, to show them. That he is fulfilling his covenant promise of never leaving them or never forsaking them. But then on the other side, we see blessings upon blessings upon uh, Eli's household. It's nothing like Elkanah's household. We see that Eli, his lineage can be tracked all the way back to the first priest of Israel. That was Aaron. Like his blessings started way back then. We also see that Eli's family was from the Levite tribe. They were called specifically to be priests, to lead the people spiritually. 
Eli had done nothing, and yet he was placed in this tribe. What an honor it was for him to fulfill that calling. And when you talk about the Levites, man, I, you know, I'm, I'm so humbled because for the longest time when I was bivocational, I, I sometimes even sinfully depended on my full-time job to say like, okay, as long as I can provide for my family here, I'm okay with pastoring the church. And I always thought like I cannot make that jump to pastor the church because then who's going to take care of my family? Right, because I, I've, seen, I've seen that life before where pastors are just barely making it and have to pastor two, three churches or have to go and try to find different jobs just to barely get by. And that, that really, I was really afraid of that. And, you know, when God says, it's done, it's done, he got rid of that other job and I started depending on the church for my income and I've never been more taken care of by God. It's a beautiful and wonderful thing. And when you look at the, the Levites, they weren't even allowed to go out and earn any kind of income. Everything was given to them by the Lord. So he specifically took care of them. They were to enjoy the sacrifices that were given to the Lord. They were to be paid from that. We also see that Eli and his tribe had a special calling to lead the worship of the Lord and their days were completely peaceful and they always had what they needed. Now, you compare that to Elkanah's household and you think, wow, Eli has every opportunity to succeed. Because it's easy to see that Elkanah's household suffered while Eli's household prospered. Yet it was Elkanah's household that the Lord blessed and it was Eli's household that the Lord rejected. Now, this brings to mind something that I have, a conversation that I have with my kids very often because it's always on my mind. It doesn't matter as much where you start in life. It matters where you end up. And I find that to be true not only for our earthly life, but also our, our, our spiritual lives as well. Because we all have the same starting point in our spiritual lives. That starting point is that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And the important thing is that what, what needs to happen in life is that we come to know that Savior and we are saved by his grace. That is a beautiful ending. But then there are those who have the same starting point as us. They are sinners in need of a Savior and they never find that Savior. They never do. They never find that Savior. So we must realize that that where we end up is more important than where we begin. And that is true in life in any facet, because as I think about my life and, and, and how I grew up and I look out in the crowd and I know about you and how you grew up. God has been good to us. We had a, a bad starting point, but then God blessed us beyond belief. The Bible says that many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Well, what does this mean? Well, it means that those who exalt themselves before the Lord will be humbled by him, and those who humble themselves before the Lord will be exalted by him. As we continue to work through these letters, we see that this is a common theme that the eternal King of Glory establishes. Those who raise themselves up, he humbles. Those who humble themselves, he raises up. Why? So that he gets the glory. In both situations. See, when we look at our passages, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 2, 18 through 21, we see, okay, or actually, that's before our passage. I wanted to back up just a little bit so that you can see Elkanah's uh, reverence towards the Lord. And also his faithful worship of him. And then we see in verses 22 to 25, we see Eli's unwillingness to uh, discipline the disobedience of his sons. And because of what we see going on, number one, we see Okana's family grow in grace. Uh, read with me verses 21 and, and 26. I want to read that to you real quick. Look at this blessing that comes to Okana. It says, indeed, the Lord visited Hannah 
And she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters, and the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Hannah went from being barren to having five children, or five more children. When she gave Samuel away, it was never promised to her that she would have more children. But because of her reverence towards the Lord, because of Elkanah's leadership and his reverence towards the Lord, and their submission to the Lord's will, man, the Lord blessed them, and it was a beautiful thing. But that's not it. Look at verse 26. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. We compare that to Eli's sons, and it's a different story. In fact, let's look at verses 30 to 34 to see the judgment that happens. We see the blessings of Elkanah's house, but now let's look at the judgment that happens on Eli's house. Verses 30 through 34. It says, therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress, you will look with envious eyes on the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And, by the way, this shall, be, this shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you, both of them shall die on the same day. Now we see, we see God and what he's doing here, and it's, it, it, it's the Lord's prerogative to bless whom he chooses and to rebuke whom he chooses. And in our passage and in our story, we see that he has chosen to bless the meek and reject the proud. For God says in verse 30, for those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. As we look at this passage, it's important that we recognize in Scripture we, that we recognize what God is saying. That God is calling us to honor him. And that fact alone should drive us to faithful and worshipful, worshipful obedience to the Lord. In fact, the Bible says, be not wise in your own eyes, but rather fear the Lord and turn away from evil. We should look to see what is right in the eyes of the Lord and choose to do that as much as we can. See, what the Lord requires of us must be the most important thing to us. The book that you hold in your hand must be your guiding light. It must be the source that you go to to find out the will of God. It must be the book that you study the most. It must be what you conform your will to and what you conform your life to. It's that important. You see, for Elkanah and his obedience, and it led to wonderful and beautiful things despite his trouble. Now, don't misread my sermon or, or, or hear me incorrectly. This is not one of those sermons where I tell you, go and do what the Lord tells you to do, and you are going to be blessed beyond belief. Because we still see Okana, he had trouble. They still suffered. It doesn't say that anything was taken away from them. But yet, God blessed them in the storm. And then on the other side, we see this complete gross disobedience, and we see the result of that. We see God's judgment teaches us wonderful lessons on both sides. But as I look at this, the one thing that really sticks out to me is the fact that those who honor him, he will honor. That, that just does not leave me. Those who honor him, he will honor. Those who honor him, God will show favor to. Man, we don't deserve that favor. It's enough for him to save us, but yet he has told us in his word those who honor me, I will honor. 
He makes it clear. You see, for us, there is no better way to honor the Lord than to obey his word. Because that's what he requires of us. To put the word of the Lord as supreme authority over our lives. Psalm 51 says this, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it to you. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Those are the sacrifices of God. Caring about what God commands you to do. Cherishing the word of the Lord that has been given to you. Living according to that word day in and day out. See, the eternal king of glory sees all. He judges the hearts of men. And us knowing that, we know that our only hope is Christ. And our only response to God should be obedience. Yeah, I know we have to deal with sin. And I know we will never do that perfectly. We would never obey God perfectly on this side of heaven. But still, that is our focus. That is what we are striving to do to obey the Lord. To walk in holiness, to be holy as he is holy. See, through Christ and through obedience, we honor the Lord. And that's not a statement of works. Because first of all, look, we would not be able to honor God without Christ at all. Because it was by his life, his death, his resurrection. That is the only way God was pleased with us. So that's why I say in Christ and by walking in his statutes, by walking according to his word, do we please the Lord? Yes, we are securely saved by the works of Christ. But we are sanctified through our obedience to his word. John, uh, 1 John chapter 2 says this, And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his words in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. I can't sum it up any better than that. We honor God through our obedience. We can say we love the Lord we can say all kinds of different things, but if we do not walk in obedience to his word, that tells you where we stand. If we do not care about what God's word says that we ought to do, that tells you where we stand. Now, why do I talk about these things? Well, number one, this is where um, this passage is taking us because the importance of honoring the Lord, one of the benefits of it is that we see that God honors us as well. And that's really important, that's really helpful, and that is something that gives us um, motivation, if you will. Because we know that God is faithful, God is just, and he, know, he knows that we are sinners, and yet he continues to bless us and honor us as we honor him. So that's a beautiful and wonderful thing. But when you look at, at the perspective, or you look at the context, rather, of what's going on here, there's some important things that we have to talk about. that really hit home for us here. Some, some important things that we have to really think about when it comes to our family and our church. Because what we see going on here in this passage is pretty common in the world today. What we see going on here in this passage, we see it going on a lot in Christian households. And as we read this passage and we come to grips with what's happening here, I don't know about you, but it should make you a little nervous. It should make you squirm in your seat a little bit. 
Not that God's going to remove his grace from us, because again, his covenant promised to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But I tell you what this does. This shows us that God does not permit sin. And somehow, some way, in God's perfect timing, and according to his perfect will, judgment comes to our households because of sin. And this ought to show you it doesn't matter who you are, because the person that we are speaking about here is the high priest of Israel. This is the spiritual leader of the nation, and God's showing this man, you are nothing compared to me. I'm about to humble you, and I'm going to show this nation, I'm going to show the world who the eternal king of glory is. I will take away everything that has been given to you. The strength that I have blessed you with, gone. That is the God that we serve. He is the same. He is still the same today. He doesn't just let sin go by and say, oh, it's okay." They'll get it eventually. He deals with sin. And I don't know if we get that completely. I don't know if we realize that completely. Because honestly, I think we still play games with God. Honestly, we still deal with a lot of selfishness in us. We still want to do what is right in our own eyes. We still do not seek what the Lord has commanded us to do in his word. We're so focused on the forgiveness that we're receiving, we forget about the obedience that we're commanded to walk in. And honestly, that's why the church looks the way it looks today. Well, partly because it's half full with wolves and half full with sheep, or I should say goats and sheep. But yet, still, this is what we're dealing with. We have Christian families who are entertaining sin, who are letting it come in, who are letting it lead their families. We have Christian families that are just inundated with it and are not doing anything about it, are not doing much about it. And we're seeing God's judgment on them. So as we look at this, here's the question. With any application, what must we do or what must, with it, what, what must we think about what we've learned? Well, there's, there's three things. Number one, when we look at this passage and we understand everything that's happening, we must understand that God expects us to be good stewards of his blessings. As I look around here, everyone here has been blessed by the Lord. We have enjoyed these blessings. We have been given more than what we deserve. So God, has, God expects us to be good stewards of his blessings. When we look at Eli, we see that Eli failed to be a good steward of his household. Now, when we look at this and we think from a, a cohesive uh, point of view, spouses, we must understand, are stewards of one another, right? Because we go back to Genesis and the Bible tells us, man shall leave his, his, his mother, his father and his mother, and join to himself a wife, and they shall become one flesh. What does that mean? You're each other's stewards. Well, what does that mean? You're there to take care of each other. You're there to lead each other to Christ. That, that's what that means. But also, not only that, parents are stewards of their children. That's what the word tells us, that, that these are not our kids. 
This isn't like just completely, he is not completely our husband, she is not completely our wife. We are stewards of our husbands, we are stewards of our wives, we are stewards of our children. So that means we cannot just treat them, lead them, guide them, help them the way we want. There is an authority that we answer to. There is someone that we have to submit to. See, the spouses belong to one another and the kids are under the authority of their parents. So what does that tell us? Well, even though that is the case, we do not have the right to rule or raise according to what is right in our own eyes. A steward is only in charge of maintaining a master's property. Our spouse is only going to be our spouse for a limited amount of time. Our children are only going to be our children for a limited amount of time. None of this stuff transfers over to the next life. Why? Because everything belongs to God. When it's all said and done, everything's coming under the authority of Christ. And so we have to realize the time that we have now is precious. The calling that God has given us as husband, as wife, and as parents, and as children is extremely important. We need to walk according to his word and not just do what we want to do. As I said, a steward is only in charge of maintaining the master's property. You see, we and I or you and I, we were bought at a price and we must treat each other the way our master has commanded us in his word. Now, I talk about us as a group. I'm not only talking about a family setting, but I'm also talking about the household of God. I'm talking about the the bride of Christ, the body of Christ in the church. This also stands true. You know, one of my biggest questions as I read through this passage Where was Eli's wife? She was either nonverbal or she wasn't there anymore. Right? I mean, because all this is going on. Their sons are just, man, sinning grossly against the Lord. Eli decides that he's only going to talk to them but not really do anything about it. Where was she? If, if even if she, you know, if she was there or she had, or she had already died, it, it, either way, it doesn't matter. This is what I learned from that experience. If she were either dead or she was silent, the truth remains that a helpmate is an extremely important blessing from the Lord. We spend so much time Fighting, we spend so much time disagreeing, we spend so much time separating ourselves than we do appreciating the blessing that God has given us. Here's Eli letting everything just go by, letting sin run rapid in his family. The Lord's judgment comes upon him. I wonder if he thought about his wife at all either if she were living or if she was already gone. I wonder if he thought how wonderful it would have been for her to be there to help him through the years. Or maybe he thought I should have listened to her. Amen, ladies? Your husband says that a lot, even though he doesn't tell you that. He says that a lot. You see... We must be good stewards of his blessings. His blessings aren't there just for us so that we can squander them. He has given them to us so that we can bring honor and glory to his name. But, okay, so we look at this from a group perspective, cohesively, but also, how about exclusively? We must watch our own life closely, our own life. 
Yeah, it's important that we watch out for our, our wife, our husband, our children, and keep an eye on that and make sure that we are walking according to the word of the Lord. But we cannot lose, we cannot be so focused with other people that we lose sight of our own life. Eli, he failed to remove the plank out of his own eye before trying to remove the speck out of his son's. We, it's important that we do not lose sight over our own sin as we deal with the sins of others. As I said before, Eli's problem wasn't that he didn't see the sins of his son. In fact, he, if you look back at chapter 2, go back to uh, P.L.'s passage or Pastor Laramie's passage from last week, we see that uh, he actually talked to them about it. He rebuked his sons. Starting in verse 22, I'm not going to read it this morning for the lack of time, but verse 22 to 26 makes it evident. He tells them, I see your sin. You're not going to get away with it. The Lord will come. He will visit you. He will judge you. All the while, not realizing his sin of not dealing with their sin. He didn't watch his life closely. He did not discipline his children. See, when we look at that in both aspects, in the family aspect and also in the church aspect, if we do not discipline one another, the discipline of God will come upon us. I tell you what, I'd rather face the discipline from you than the discipline of God. Paul says this in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. I can't tell you how important that passage is to me and how much it has ministered to me throughout the years. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. So listen, husbands, wives, children, grandfathers, grandmothers, uncles, aunts, keep a close eye on your life. Be looking within more than you are looking without. See, the problem is a lot of times when we're in relationships, we're just like looking at the faults of others and we're not looking inside enough. I'm reminded, I guarantee, even in our family lives, I guarantee if you spend more time looking at your own faults than the faults of your spouse, life would be a lot more pleasant because you'd have a lot less things to say to them because you would realize you're more at fault than they are. We, as God's people, we cannot let sin settle. We cannot let it take root in our lives. One of my favorite quotes is from John Owen, where he says, we must be killing sin. Our sin will be killing you. We must take it that seriously. And then the last thing. We must be engaged in the fight of our spiritual lives. There is a fight going on around us. And I love how we're going over this passage and we just finished Ephesians the end of Ephesians chapter 6, it tells us that we must get ready for spiritual battle by putting on Christ. And now we're seeing a, a product of a spiritual battle here. Eli's house is coming under God's judgment. Eli was in this fight and not even realizing it. He wasn't even fighting. He just letting the enemy win. And what we must realize is that we are at war with a spiritual enemy who desires to devour us. The Bible tells us that 1 Peter 5, verse 8, 
Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We're given that warning in God's word. And we are called to resist him. We are called to resist the devil, guarded by the armor of God, standing firm in our faith. Now, notice we are not called to retreat. We are not called to hide. We are not called to agree with the enemy. We are called to resist him. Resisting is fighting. We are called to engage him with war. So this means we are to be in battle with the enemy. We are to not let him have our family. We are not to let him have our spouse. We are not to let him have our church. We are not to let him have anything. And if we are not careful, sin will infiltrate our home and it will affect the relationships of those that we hold dearest. Sin will infiltrate our church and divide the body of Christ. But here's the question. What will you do? Will you fight or will you give up? Will you wave the white flag and say, you know what, I'm I'm done with this devil. Just have a hold of me and my family. And I hope that Christ can forgive me in the end. Or will you put on the armor of God that you have been commanded to put on? Will you fight with the weapon that God has given you, his word? As God's people, we must not only be aware of sin, because Eli was aware of sin. We must not only be aware of sin, but we must act upon it. We must resist it. We must fight it. We must do what God has called us to do. So we must decide to fight the good fight for the faith. And we must also fight the good fight for the spiritual benefit of those we love. And those that we hold dearest. We look at Eli's life and we see, man, that's a tragic life. So much potential. That's one of the worst words in our English Vocabulary, potential. Isn't that a sad word? It is. It's sad. When you say, man, you, have, you had so much potential. It just reminds you of what has been wasted. Or even when you tell somebody you have so much potential, why are you telling them that? Because they haven't realized it. I'm here to tell you, each and every single one of you, you have been blessed by God. May not feel that way. You have been blessed by the Almighty. My plea to you this morning is that you honor him with your blessings. He is the eternal king of glory and all honor is due to him. Let's pray.